Welcome to a new episode of These Go to 11. Let's turn it up. Hey everybody, welcome back to These Go to 11, an unchurchy conversation about everyday faith. Please make sure you like, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcast platform. This not only helps us to get our content out there, but also helps us to find out what you, our faithful listeners, think. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to these Go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell. Joining me as always, Greg Dutcher. Greg, what's going on, man? Nathan, I'm doing well, and I'm thrilled we have a building in which to podcast. Yeah, that was a little uh, little dicey there last night yes. here in Maryland. Yes, not terrible here in your, what, dude, 30 minutes south? Yep. Or maybe a little more than 30 minutes. Yeah, roughly about 30 minutes. That about sounds right. 30 minutes yeah. south, and you weren't hit too terribly. No, we, um, we didn't lose power at all. Lots of rain. Yeah. But uh, didn't lose power. Which uh, which is nice. We can. I I was in the shower and it it briefly flickered, but not. It didn't flicker long enough to like totally, you know, have to restart like the microwave time and yeah, all that yeah. stuff. It was just. It was ever so brief. Real quick flicker. Yeah. Yeah, we had that three times maybe, and it was. I think the longest was two minutes. Mm-hmm. I remember I showed you that picture. My brother, yeah. who lives out yeah. in Carroll County. Uh, Maryland Route 140 <clears throat> is their kind of main drag. Yep, that runs through Westminster and and sort of the the lifeline of the county. And uh, I think it was something like 40 plus. Yeah, based on his text, and he showed me the picture. Telephone poles went down across that main drag. Yeah, yeah. So they got crushed. Yeah. Not um, only are they cleaning up all of that, uh, having to you know restore power, but They've got to clean all that power up. They've got to get the poles back up. I mean, they're there. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a minute there to get that uh, back and ready. And uh, I said, I'm very glad, Nathan, because since I'm two minutes away from our building and you're 30, um, <clears throat> it would have been kind and compassionate if your podcast partner had maybe come here late last <laughs> night, lest we both pull up. Like, oh, Nathan, man, it stinks. Sorry, dude. Yeah, I'm going to drive two minutes back home. Right. <laughs> uh, you can drive your 30 back. Uh, so fortunately, when I came in and I saw the lights on yeah. and you were already here setting everything up, felt good. But yeah, I think uh, we, we we weathered it, pun yeah. intended, pretty well. Um, but yeah, it can... Uh, yeah, I love a summer storm. Dude. Yeah, oh yeah. I do love a summer yep. storm. Well, and I mean, it. I remember Joy and I, we were driving back uh, from Virginia. We were visiting... Joy's sister and our uh, nieces and nephews down there. And uh, it was good, although, I mean, sunny, no problems. We get, uh, we're, we're driving on 295. Yeah. And we just kind of crest that little hill as you're entering the city, and all of a sudden you can see it just dark. Yeah. I mean, it, it is it is not pitch black, but pretty close yeah. to it. Oh, that's awesome. Um. And that was kind of on the left, and then on the right, it was kind of still blue and sunny. And we're yeah. like, okay, well, we're, we're heading to the left because right. that's north on 95. Yep. And we're like, okay, well, maybe we can beat this thing home, <laughs> and then we can go ahead. We go through the tunnel, 
come out the other side and where it was blue, it is now that dark wow. sky color. Yeah. And we're like, I don't think we're beating this thing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, Did you guys uh, have to pull over in that? We didn't. We yeah. didn't. Um, we What we ended up doing was, um, because 95 can be such a, a dumpster fire with traffic and all that stuff, we ended up taking the Express to 43. Oh, yeah, right, right. And then we just kind of pulled off at Panera and got some dinner while this while it was going Wrote on. Rode it out of Panera, dude. Yep. yep. I love it, man. So. Yeah, we. Uh, I drive Lisa nuts with that. I don't. It's this. It's my father's influence in me. I, even if it's pouring down, the visibility is two feet or two inches. I feel like we can we can make progress. Right, right. Everybody else, this is our time, and she has at times uh, made it very clear to me that we will be pulling over. <laughs> uh, and I realize I better not press that too much. But I I love to keep making progress. Yeah. You know. Now I mean. Obviously, I will say, dude, coming back from my, you know, where I do my writing program up in yeah. uh, in in Wilkesbury, PA, uh, where it's a little more mountainous, uh, mountainous the first uh, half hour of that trip coming home, because it's up near Scranton. Yep. Dude, I, the morning I left, it was so foggy. Mm. They had fog warnings up. This is the first time I've ever driven where, I, I mean, there were moments where you maybe had two or three feet visibility. Yeah. In the fall. That was that was eerie. Yeah. Yeah, fortunately, there weren't many people on. That one I did pull over for okay. a bit. I, I let that dissipate a bit. That yep. was too, I was coming home to do a wedding. Yeah. I thought, I'm probably not going to serve uh, my buddy Scott Perry well. It was his yeah. son uh, by, you know, getting killed. Right. Uh, <laughs> and then they got to find a replacement. Right. And, you know, that's, that, that would dampen the weekend. Yeah, that would. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, fog, man. I, fog is. Yeah, fog can be pretty crazy sometimes. Yeah, the way yeah. Uh, we don't get too settles. much of it here. We don't. No, occasionally we'll have uh, almost uh, as you get temperatures changing um, from winter into spring. Yeah, we might get some, but yeah, we really don't. But dude, you know where there's a lot of fog over the issue of. The doctrine of the end times. Ooh, oh, way to segue oh, that. Oh, see, ladies and gentlemen, you have to be a professional, <laughs> a professionally trained podcaster to do what Nathan and I can do. See, that's right. That's right. Set me up for it. So, yes, uh, during the month of August here, we are doing uh, debates. We are talking about how do we how do we cordially engage with people. Um, in discussions and debates, and we were looking at different things. The first one um, that we did with Ben Dutcher, yeah, uh, your man there, uh, was more of a fun, lighthearted one, yep. just to show that it doesn't matter what the topic is. We can still be kind, we can still be cordial, we can still be civil, and have a good time discussing uh, these issues. Is that what happened last week? I thought you guys killed. No, oh, yeah, no, no you honestly, dude, that was fun for me to just moderate that, let you guys go back and forth and geek out. Yeah, out on was a lot of fun. Yeah, and I learned a lot. Honestly, I thought you both made really good cases, and you did engage each other very respectfully. Yeah, it was Nathan. I, great I, I time. Got ben enjoyed the heck out of that. Oh, it was it was it was so much fun. Um, I can remember growing up uh, having all sorts of discussions about uh, Star Wars and comics and different oh, yeah. things with friends of mine and um, arguing constantly with them about different things. Oh, and sure. I remember 
my mom uh, was, uh, this was actually later when uh, Joy and I had had met and I was having a discussion with a friend of mine and my mom was like, are, th- are they arguing about Star What? Why are they arguing about Star Wars? That's a stupid. Like, <laughs> we just had a good time doing it. And oh, it, you yeah. know, it was fun to to you know get each other to think about it and and you know uh, kind of work through one another's perspectives on yeah. how we viewed it and yep. uh, just a good time. So yeah, it was that was a lot of fun. That was um, this today. We are not going to be engaging in a debate, and the reason is because this topic is vast and i would i would wager and and you know maybe um maybe i'm underestimating um who will listen to this podcast but i i I think it's fair to say that at one point discussion about end times was a a very widely discussed topic yes um I, I don't hear it as widely I discussed. Don't I don't either these days. But it is still it is still a hot button issue for many people. Yes, I think Nathan. It. I I, I hope I'm right on this. Uh, I I don't mean this to sound in any way that I am personally uh, taking credit. I don't think it's it's that at all. I think that our church, which mm-hmm. you and I, you know, have been a part of for a long time yeah. together, and. I was here a few years before that togetherness yeah. began, so we're we're at twenty years. Um, has never made it a make it or break it issue. Yeah, and for all of the you know, in twenty years, dude, there's a lot of ups and downs. Yeah, a lot of seasons sure. of great flourishing, great joy. A lot of seasons of pain and uh, leanness. It's it's every church uh, that is at it for long enough. And oh, of all the topics that have been associated with debate and friction and times of uncertainty, it's never been won. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think we kind of, you know, staked our claim from the beginning. Again, I'm sure we'll reference in our upcoming moments here the Apostles' Creed mm-hmm. and red light issues, the foundational issues. We staked our claim on Jesus is coming back. Yep. I think that is part of historic Christian orthodoxy. Yep. I think uh, it's in all the ancient creeds. It is. It is, but never the manner, method, timing. Yeah. Chart. That's not in any part of ancient creed. That was a much later. Yeah. Development in the history of Christian thinking. So I think part of it is our world here at yes. CFC. It's not a main thing issue. Where you teach, just based on what I'm hearing, yeah. I don't sense that's a main thing no, issue. No, but you are right because I pay attention to the blogosphere, Twittersphere, yes. interwebs. It's still out there. Yeah, and maybe some of our listeners have experience where this has been an issue of friction or yes. heavy emphasis. Yeah, and so what we decided to do today was rather than um, rather than have the debate today, we wanted to go ahead and talk about the views because I think it's important before before we get in and, and do a debate like this that we we clearly define and articulate uh, this this end times theology, what we call eschatology, yeah. and really get a handle on okay, 
what are uh, we're we're going to discuss this? What are the three main views of the end times? What are kind of the subcategories within those main views? Um, and and really kind of put out there where some of these views lead mm-hmm. in terms of personal um, personal growth or or personal uh, I don't know lack of development. I don't know what you want to call it, but you know issues that can come up with these things. Yeah. Um, and and just to kind of you know give everybody an idea of what this looks like, um, I personally, from personal experience, um, am aware and, uh, and I'm leaving this vague intentionally, but, uh, of a church many years ago, uh, when they set up their, their, uh, doctrine, their statements of faith, uh, this was probably back in the seventies. Uh, this was a, a main issue in their, in their statement of faith. Mm-hmm. And you had to, believe this certain way or else you could not serve in certain capacities within the church. Yeah. And and it went one step further to any of the ministries that were going on in the church in order to serve as a leader in those ministries. So not even as a leader in the church, but a leader within the ministries of the church, you had to subscribe to this or else you couldn't you couldn't serve in that capacity. Yeah. Um, and so this is a very hot button topic for many churches, many people. And so we want to set up what are these arguments, and then at some point in the future, we'd like to go ahead and bring someone on and actually engage in the debate. Yeah. But we want to set this up first so you are aware and, and informed about what that looks like. Yeah, and part of it, dude, I will say for me, I'll just out myself right now, I... I think every view has its strengths and its mm-hmm. weaknesses, which to me is very telling. I can't think of a topic in Christian theology where I could literally be assigned, you know, we talk about that yeah. in high school debate, any of the three views, and I could argue them passionately. Yeah. Or I could be assigned, uh, you know, a group to take that same view and tear it apart, and I could tear it apart passionately. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> which tells me. I'll just out myself again. My personal view is that there is not really sufficient information yeah. to confidently say this is it, although many people do. Right. I'm just saying I personally, while I may have a leaning, I would tend to debate. My position in the, in the debate would be the old cliche joke about I'm a pan-millennialist. Right. God will pan it all out in the end. That generally captures... Most of where I am, I, I do have a leaning to one of these views yeah. more uh, more than the others, but I'm not. I ain't wedded to it. Yeah, I get to heaven and find out I'm wrong. Yeah, I'll be perfectly fine. Well, it's uh, we, what we talked about when Justin was on, right? That the the creeds are the things that we live and die by. Yes, right. Somebody puts a gun to your head and says, "Deny the fact that Jesus is returning." Yeah, and I can't do that. Right. Uh, change your view on, you know, again, we'll talk about these three views or, you know, change your view from, you know, A to B or A to C or whatever it is. Okay. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly, dude. I just don't care (laughs) uh, enough about it because the fundamental issue is that scripture is very clear that he's returning. Yeah. Um, 
So how do you want to do it, dude? You want me yeah. to just uh, start scoping it out? Yeah, or? let's let's go ahead. Let's uh, let's start with the three views yeah. of uh, end times eschatology and brief overview definition sure. of each. Well, all of them are in some ways dependent upon a rather obscure and dare I say, in most cases. Not often read passage. Mm-hmm. And when I say often read, I would think the average person who identifies as a Jesus follower that may be listening to this would probably agree. Yeah, I'm probably not in this passage too much, or it's not yeah. one that I think of as much. Revelation 20. Yep. I'll read it. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, threw him in the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, they came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So the thousand years is mentioned several times in that passage. Yeah. Um, that is typically seen, you know, we call a group a grouping of a thousand years. A hundred years is a century. A yep. thousand is a millennium. Yep. So millennium has become the basis of three divergent schools of thought. Yeah. On sort of what we do with that passage, but also as kind of a an anchor point for understanding, for lack of a better word, the the manner, the timing in which Jesus returns. Sure. So you have pre-millennial. Mm-hmm. That is the reigning queen, mm-hmm. probably in our neck of the woods, meaning Western, particularly American, evangelical Christianity. Yeah. Um, there are many that hold the other two views I'll get to. But pre-millennialism is the belief that that thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth is coming, it's set. He's going to return. Satan is going to be imprisoned during that time, mm-hmm. which I'm interpreting, maybe over-interpreting a bit, seems to be equated with a time of great flourishing and peace because of his absence. Yeah. What the text actually says is the nations will no longer be deceived. Um, so most uh, premillennialists will say that thousand-year Reign is a literal 1,000-year reign. Yep. Which, if you think about it, dude, our country's only got a quarter of that. Right. Right now. Right. So it would be like from 1776, right? And, yeah. you know, you're, you're going to, um, what is that, dude? What's a 1,000 years later? Uh, I'm terrible at it. Uh, that would be 2,000... Yeah, 776, yeah, you're right. right? Thank you. Yeah, 2776. Yeah. So, thank you. Yeah, it would be a um it would be a long time. Yeah. Um 
So it's a literal thousand-year reign. Yep. Christ is coming. So most people who interpret the scriptures pre-millennially believe that we're living. Often you'll hear people say these are the final days. What do they mean? Well, coming to this earth is Jesus, yep. who's going to set up a thousand-year reign of Christ. Yep. And that's kind of the last big thing that takes place on the earth before the final, you might say, battle, yeah. final judgment, the separation of heaven and hell. Now, within premillennialism, we'll probably yeah. come back to this, there's a million yeah. views. But that's the first one, yep. which means if you're premillennial, that thousand-year reign of Christ is a future reality yep. that's coming. Let me skip to postmillennial. Yep. Postmillennialism is interesting because they would agree that with the premillennialists that the thousand-year reign of Jesus is is coming. Okay. Oh, yep. I, I messed up, dude. Forgive me. The the most important thing in premillennialism, premillennialism, is that Jesus comes before that thousand-year reign. That's why right. it's pre. Uh, yes. Yeah. He, in yeah. essence, inaugurates it. Yeah. He starts it. Yeah. How did I not say that? <laughs> the post-millennial view yeah. is that Jesus comes after the thousand. That post after yeah. the millennium. Yeah. What is the thousand years? Most post-millennialists say the thousand-year reign of Christ is sort of the golden age. Some would say it's a thousand years. Most that I read say, well, it's a a thousand is a number of completeness in the book of Revelation, yeah. like seven, sure. like 12, and the multiples that are associated with 144,000, et cetera. So whether it's a thousand years or a long time, right? it's the final age of the church, mm -hmm. and it's a golden age. It is an age where Christianity has largely dominated the world. Most post-millennialists don't say that um, uh, they don't say things like, um, well, that means every person on the planet is going to become a Christian. Right. No, but if you're not a Christian, you're in the minority. I mm -hmm. think they would say that. Christianity has transformed the world. Mm -hmm. Many nations are now operating out of Christian principles, etc. So... An oversimplification of those first two views. Premillennialism, generally, things are getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Until Christ Until comes. Christ comes. Yep. He sets up a millennium. Postmillennialism, do you see the difference? Yeah. It's still in the future, yeah. but things are essentially getting better, better and, and better. better and better. Yeah. So Christ coming into the postmillennial view is he's almost coming to receive the earth as a gift. Mm-hmm you might say, from the church, from his bride, uh, and that he comes uh, and he kind of finalizes history. So two very different views. Yeah. The one, for lack of a better word, that's the outlier is amillennialism. Yeah. Amillennialism. Why can't I say that word today? And um, ah is the negating term, or a. If you say I'm apolitical right. or atypical, you're negating it, right? So... Amillennialism or amillennialism uh, is, in essence, <laughs> it's sort of a way of saying, hey, um, this thousand-year reign of Christ as a future kind of literal event 
is not what the scriptures are intending to communicate. Mm-hmm. It is a picture, most amillennialists teach, of the church age. Mm-hmm. That the millennium, in essence, came when Christ accomplished his finished work. Yeah. And he rose. In this world, the wheat and the tares grow together. Yeah. And then Christ is going to come at some point in history without view of a special period of time, a thousand right. years. Uh, because essentially, we're living in the millennium. Right. And Christ comes and he sorts everything out. So again, all three views yep. have Jesus returning, Yep. which is why I would say I'm fine. Yeah. Any Christian dude at CFC that says to me, you know, Greg, I've been studying, I've been reading... Um, you know, uh, Lorraine uh, Botner, uh, I've been reading uh, R.C. Sproul, I've been reading, uh, or I've been listening to sermons by David Jeremiah, and might correspond to one of those views. What do you think? I'm, uh, I'm fine. Sure. Now, <laughs> if that person says, will the church stand by, I've listened to these, these, these sermons. Yeah, yeah. We got to, we got to, draw the line in the sand here. I'm going to say no. Right. We're not going to do that. Yeah. So, how's that as a summary, dude? That probably wasn't very short. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a good place to start. So, so again, going back, premillennial is um Christ will come. So, we're we're living Christ will enter history again and usher in a thousand years of peace before the final judgment. Exactly. The post-millennial is um, Christ will, uh, the thousand years will will go. Yeah, it's accomplished by the church, yeah. essentially. And and then Christ will come. Yes, at the end. And, and then the final judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then amillennial is, uh, you're both wrong. Yeah. Christ came. Yep. And he accomplished the work, and he will one day come again for the final judgment. But yes. Right now, we're just living and doing our thing. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. Dude, your summary is better than mine. <laughs> I need to get you to do all my, my writing summaries for uh, my writing program, because that's the hardest thing I have to do, dude, Oh, is for summer, a long-winded summer, guy, is write something in a sentence yeah. or two. I can't do that. I don't want to leave out these details. Well, but but it is important, because again, really, the, the details are what are what people are disagreeing Absolutely. on. And that's what this that's what this discussion today is all about. What are the details? Because again, if we get into a debate with this without knowing and understanding the details, there are things that we're going to miss and people might hear this going uh you you're you're kind of saying the same thing, aren't you? Right. right. And so understanding the details will will allow us to get ready and prepared for that debate. Absolutely. So let's uh, let, let's kind of talk about, because Greg, you said I, I could argue the strengths and the merits of each, uh, but I can also argue the, the flaws and downfalls of each. Sure. Let's start with um, the, the flaws and downfalls. Let's, yeah. let's start there. So let's look at uh, premillennial. Yep. We'll just kind of go in the order that you did. Let's look at premillennial. What are the the flaws and issues with the premillennial view yeah. that uh, let's let's face it uh, with flaws and issues we have to largely ignore them in right. order to accept that view. Sure. <laughs> and oh, yeah. So, what are the flaws and issues that come with the premillennial view? Well, good question. I'm going to take a, a slightly 
maybe unexpected turn there. One of the problems with premillennialism yeah. um, is there are so many, um, again, subcategories within premillennialism. Sure. Okay. We haven't talked about it yet, dude. It hasn't come up. The rapture yeah. of the church, right? Yeah. Now, let me, for if those of you taking notes at home, if you are, and you're you're thinking through this, some of you, this might be old hat, you know what, some of you don't. Um, the fact that there's so many subcategories, not that there aren't in mill and post-mill, mm-hmm. but there's not many yeah. in comparison. Let me throw a few terms out, and then I'll try to take a few away. Yeah, You've got... Um, well, you've got the pre-tribulational um, rapture of the church, so that would make me pre-mill, pre-trib. Yeah, you've got well the mid-tribulational rapture of the church. That would make me pre-mill, mid-trib. No, 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 it's post-tribulation that Jesus raptures. That's the that's the pre-mill. Um, post trib, post trib. What? It, 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 in other words, it starts getting. Then you've got one called the pre wrath rapture, which is kind of a mid trib, kind of between mid and post. Uh, and if you're saying I don't understand this, that's fine. Right. That's the point. Right. When you get into the minutia of of picturing things like this. In premillennialism, there are really two returns of Jesus. Mm-hmm. This might be one of its flaws. Doesn't mean it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Most of the scriptures seem to point to a coming hope of him returning. Period. Right. In pre-tribulational rapture, okay, this is how it works. In this view, what's going to happen in the future? Yep. One day, an antichrist is going to rise. Mm-hmm. Many Christians have taught for years, particularly in America. Well, true Christians don't have to worry about that because mm-hmm. they're going to be raptured out of the church. Well, what does that mean? Well, that's is that a coming of Christ? Yes, it's a secret, quiet return of Jesus. First Thessalonians chapter four. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those who are still alive, the dead in Christ will rise first. Many Christians believe that Jesus is going to come. He's going to rapture people out of the world, movies like Left Behind or even older, Thief in the Night for any of our 50-plus listeners. Uh, There's going to be a massive disappearance of Christians on the earth. Yep. Yes, that's Jesus coming, but in a secret way. Right. His true coming will be seven years later because the tribulation is going to last for seven years. Right. Now... During that tribulation, many people think, well, the first half is going to be peaceful. This Antichrist figure, if he's an American president or a Middle East uh, king or ambassador, whomever it it is, people debate all that stuff all the time, uh, is going to unite the world. It's going to be peace. It may be, what do we do with all these people that have disappeared? Right. Um, And then the second half, it's going to go dark. He's going to demand total loyalty. It's the mark of the beast. It's the image of Satan, there's all kinds of things associated with it. And then Jesus comes again, Yeah. this time not in the clouds to secretly rapture the church, but he returns fully, Physical visibly, form. Yeah. and sets up a kingdom 
on the earth, defeats the Antichrist, etc., throws Satan in a pit. Other people would say, yeah, you know, I think Christians are going to be here at the beginning of that tribulation, and I think they're going to be the ones that warn people, this guy's not all you think, this Antichrist, mm-hmm. or this guy's the Antichrist, and then right before things turn bad, he's going to rapture them out mm-hmm. of the church. Other people, a guy who I read a lot in seminary, George Eldon Ladd, I do will say this, post-tribulational rapture of the church mm-hmm. generally preserves one return. Right. Because he comes, Christians live through the tribulation, even the bad parts. Yeah. Then it's kind of a, yes, he raptures people, but they immediately come right. down. Um, and there's some some things you can look at in the Greek in First Thessalonians 4, that suggest, well, when a Roman conqueror would come into the city, the town would leave the the, the town just on the outskirts and then re-enter the town. Mm-hmm. And there is a word in 1 Thessalonians 4 that 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 could suggest that mm-hmm. about a return meeting. Um, so here's my point, Nathan. Yeah. All this minutia. Yeah. And then charts, maps, yeah. dates, etc. There's a lot of uncertainty about how to make this all right. work. Yeah. I think that is a problem. Now, I'm going to talk about um, what is the most common of those views, which many of our listeners might believe this and mm-hmm. never know that it's just one of many options. Yeah, I was taught, and I bet you were too, Nathan, as mm-hmm. as a young Christian. You know, I heard verses like in Matthew, "Man, one will be taken, the other right. left." Right. Yep. You want to be the one that's taken. Right. That's the rapture. That's before things go south. Um. I would just say study those passages closely. The context is just like the flood of Noah. Yeah. One will be taken and the other left. You don't want to be the one who's taken. Yeah. Yeah. The one who's taken in that context means swept away in the waters of judgment. Yeah. Um, And I think that's what's spotty about this view is often there's a lot of, well, but if you look at this verse and you look at that verse. Right. And then all of a sudden, Christians start debating, digging in, and I say, wait a minute, wait a minute. We agree he's coming back. Right. Right? But I had a pastor years ago, dude, who would hold up his Bible. He was an old school guy. Yeah. I still remember this. He goes, 318 times in this New Testament, there's a reference to the premillennial, pre-tribulational rapture of the church. There isn't. Right. Uh, <laughs> eh, wrong. I mean, you might, well, if I take this and I right. take this verse, this one fits. Right. Well, if I take these verses and this verse, this one fits. Well, what's interesting about, you know, the the pre-millennial and whether it's pre-trib or mid-trib, yeah. right, that I think is, as believers, and I know there are a lot of believers out there that do think like this, you almost have to negate things that Christ has said in order to get that. Because when Christ prays for the 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 church at large, for his disciples and the church at large, he prays that God would not take them out of this world, but allow them to withstand the evil in the world. John and 17, so yeah. the reality is that if you're going to hold to, to the pre-trib view, that 
in order to not negate what what Christ prays, and then really in order to not negate what Paul teaches, which is not escaping the world, yeah. but living in the world, living um, a, a quiet and peaceful life with with those who are around you, so that you can be a witness, as Peter talks about. You you have to be here for the whole thing, right. the good and the bad. Right. You can't just, dude. I, I'm glad you said that. This is this is one of my concerns that I would just throw against it and say, yeah. It one of the attractive features of hey, we're going to get raptured before things go bad. In this view, is hey, we, we get to miss it. God's protecting us. That doesn't seem to be historically right the experience of his church yeah that has endured great suffering great persecution but you're right god's promise of keeping them intact yeah. keeping them rooted in christ keeping their faith strong yeah keeping the witness to a lost world going yeah so others can turn and put their faith in christ um i would no it doesn't mean that the pre-tribulational rapture is wrong it's just i throw it up against yeah. it and say it's here one other thing, dude, about premillennialism in general. Mm -hmm. Premillennialism has the most literal interpretation. Um, I, I'll save that for for post mill, which is a little a little looser in, yeah. in most uh, uh, with most interpreters. The other issue I have, and it, again, it doesn't make it wrong. If you read that text in Revelation twenty closely. You've got us. It seems that you've got a first resurrection, a second resurrection. Uh, it seems that you have a time in history where people, like for instance, say you were raptured. Yeah. Uh, in whatever capacity, before the tribulation, in the middle of it, after the tribulation, this yeah. worldwide calamity. You're in your glorified body now, your bodies are transformed. Uh, the resurrection body is yours. Then you come back to earth and live for a thousand years. You've got people in glorified bodies living side by side with people in non-glorified bodies. Yeah. You've got people that are living for a thousand years who never die, living with people in mortal bodies like ours, unbelievers presumably, at least initially, right? who do die. Yeah. So a lot of things just come to my mind there. Yeah. Is the 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 person who realizes, oh, how old are you? Oh, uh, well, I was born in uh, seventeen uh, ten, and now I'm here. I mean, it it's just a strange yeah. world. Doesn't mean that it's wrong, right? But I've always found that a little bit it, it quirky. Yeah. It causes you to scratch your head and say, does this really, and I think this this is what's key with any of these views, yeah. right, is that if you are reading any of these views and it doesn't track with what the rest of Scripture says about the, the character and nature of God, right. the character and nature of Satan, the character and nature of the church, yeah. you're reading it wrong. That yeah. in order for 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 scripture to be viewed as complete, and I, and I find that in many cases, as we as we work through the gospel and we work through the narrative of history, focusing on Christ, that end times discussions 
tend to take a hard right turn right. away from all of that and, and get into this really weird and bizarre stuff that doesn't track with the nature and flow of the rest of Scripture. Yeah, and dude, at the very least, it should give you pause. Yeah. Right, it should yeah. give you pause. If you're holding something, wait a minute, have I ever seen this in Scripture before, reinforced in yeah. Scripture? Quick example on this, dude. Yeah. The passage in John 8 which uh, many people don't know, the beloved passage of the woman called an adultery. You've got Jesus saying, you know, uh, the one of you without sin cast the first stone. You've got Jesus writing something in the sand. Um, most of the earliest manuscripts don't include that section. Mm -hmm. I talked about this with my younger son recently because he was in a Bible study where this came up, and he he's heard me say that. And the leader never acknowledged, I don't say that critically, Sure, they might not know, that, well, that passage is somewhat debated, mm -hmm. whether it is part of the canon. Because um, it's if you read almost any Bible in the margins, this is not found in, in the ancient. Yeah. Yet, what I told my son, he was asking me about it, I said, I'm glad you didn't say, I think my father's brought this up before. I said, please don't ever do that. I'm yeah. so glad you didn't. Um, but I said to him, here's what I uh, should, I've opened up this can of worms. <laughs> Everything in that passage yeah. comports and resonates. The picture of Jesus there right. definitely fits yeah. passages you see, the way he relates to the woman at the well in John four, yep. right? The way you see him just loving and healing people on the margins loving a Zacchaeus. Come down from that tree, yeah. you hated tax collector. I'm coming to your house today. Yes. Matthew, bring your friends. We're going to have a party. Everything fits yeah. the nature of Jesus. So I said that my personal view, dude, is that that happened. Yeah. It may have been part of the oral tradition yeah. that some scribe put in later. Um, but even on an issue like that, we were talking where Mark 16, you have a Jesus that all of a sudden speaks at the very end yeah. And Mark, of things that are picking up snakes, poison, right. speaking in tongues, some things that you've never seen before. Yeah. And every marginal note will say it's not found in any of the ancient manuscripts, etc. It seems to be uh, something that was added perhaps centuries later. That one, I'm asking the same question. Right. Does this match? A uh, much harder time with that one. Right. I don't see passages where Jesus is speaking like this. Yeah. Um, so I do think whatever your belief is, and this is, it could be about the end times or any subject. Yeah. We should step back and ask: Do are do the connections comport? Yeah. Let me give you something that our beloved Matt Smith told uh, a young lady who was struggling. Have you ever noticed end times theology? Nathan produces a lot of anxiety in people. Oh yeah. There are people, oh, I just get worried about the state of the world, or what if some people, I've had people, what, 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 if, I, what if I take the mark of the beast because right. it's a credit card or a right. microchip? You know, we, oh, wow, that's a whole other thing. But, um, and I heard Matt, I've actually seen Matt do this, where he says, isn't it interesting when you read Paul, when you read the Gospels, what, what tone do you get from the Gospel? Comfort, assurance? Yeah. But then you go to this end time stuff, yeah, and it seems very different. Yeah, my biggest concern, and we spent a lot of time on this one, with the premillennial 
this thousand year reign coming Christ, you know, the, the, the rapture, the timing of the rapture, the antichrist. I don't know what it is about it. So many people I know get weird, anxious, funky. Yeah. And you don't, they're not like that when they're swimming in Paul's letters. Right. Or the Gospels. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I think I agree 100%. Is, is Again, like, when you look at Scripture, you know, we would we would say beyond a shadow of a doubt that Scripture, um, a, as being a historically accurate document, would have to agree with itself, right? Yep. That's one of the tests of Scripture. Does it, everything that's in here internally agree with what it says about itself? Right. And we get to Revelation, and then we scratch our head, and it's like, um, I don't know what to do with this. Right, you right. You know, and it's like... And dude, let's just say it. The nature of Revelation, yeah. apoptic, uh, apoptic, apocalyptic literature, Yeah. there's really nothing like it. Yeah. It is a standalone, one of a million, unique kind of writing. Yeah. Of which in Scripture, Daniel leans in sections apocalyptic yeah read daniel the visions it's very much like it uh revelation and that's it yeah uh there was another book that was popular in the early church that was not accepted in the canon called the shepherd of hermas Mm -hmm. which is very similar Mm -hmm. i've read uh, big chunks of it online before you could just google it uh it's highly symbolic Mm -hmm. which well I should move on to some other things, shouldn't I? Well, and I do want to touch on that, though, because because apocalyptic literature... First of all, I would would actually make an argument that I don't think Revelation is as apocalyptic as people comport it to be. Uh Uh-huh. I I think I can make that case fairly fairly, uh, confidently um, because I don't... The nature of of an apocalypse yeah. is devastation and destruction, right? right? And this is what we've interpreted Revelation to be: is the devastation and destruction of of this world. Yeah, that that doesn't seem to fit with what Christ did on the cross. Right, Christ came to undo the devastation and destruction yep. that that sin brought into the world that we brought into the world by sinning. Yeah. And so again when you're looking at this and you're looking at revelation I I think the most helpful thing to do is actually jump to the end of the book. Yeah. Because this is what ultimately everything oh, in scripture has 100%. been leading up to it's a book is, of victory. is right is is yeah. this and that that jives with all of scripture. Right. Right. That Christ is victorious. Right. And so, you know, I, I I challenge my students all the time with this. Like, don't look at this as a timeline toward the end. Right. Look at this as what we've seen throughout all of scripture, that th- this almost beautiful, poetic, symbolic picture that cycles through God's creation of the world, yeah. man's destruction of the world, yep. God's redemption of the world, and his ultimate consummation of the world. Yep. Um, 
And that fits with scripture because that's what all of scripture is about. And that's what we are constantly pointed to throughout all of the rest of the 65 books of the Bible is God created good. Yes. Man destroyed bad. God is coming to redeem because man can't. And then God will ultimately consummate all things for his glory. Yeah. And dude, you're, you're, you're capturing where I try to take people is the end times is a good news story. Mm-hmm. It's and and sometimes in a again premillennialism isn't the problem. A preoccupation, dude, yeah. When the when, details when people, of what could happen yes. or might happen. If you go to a conference and there's thirty charts, mm-hmm. my heart sinks a little bit. Dude. Yeah. Um, so here's what I'll say on this one, because I do. I know we're running out of time, and I, w- I want to make some comments on the other two yeah. as well. But this one, I'm spending more time on. Did we are because it is the dominant yeah. view. Um, I would like to see Christians that embrace premillennialism mm-hmm. embrace it in the old uh, 38 special way. <laughs> Hold on loosely, but don't let it go. Yeah. Hold on to your hope. That's fine. Hold it loosely. And find the common ground, which you just said, you go to the end. Yeah. He comes, he makes everything right. There is not this angst. Yeah. There is not this impending sense of doom. There is a joyful culmination. Yeah. That what Jesus has done for us spiritually, ultimately, is realized in our actual bodies. Yeah. uh, In our actual friendships and relationships. Every relationship is perfectly harmonized. Yes. Um, what a joyful thought. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, we went on a few segues there. Yeah. But that but, premillennialism, again, orthodox position, godly people have held it. Yep. I have zero issue. Even the most extreme chart, rapture, yeah. marriage supper of the lamb, tribulation, return, Literal thousand year reign, right? All that, right? All that, I, absolutely embrace it, man. Yeah, I'm I, I recognize. I would say this: mm-hmm. it's hard to find anybody who would articulate those things two hundred years ago. Yeah, honestly, yeah. Um, and five hundred years ago, you won't find anybody. Yeah, um, it doesn't mean it's wrong. Sure, because we may discover things as you look at the Bible more closely. Right, but it just means. The shared hope we have with our spiritual ancestors right. is about something broader. Yes. And something I think more more clear. Well, and Paul addresses end times, right? I mean, the, the people of his day were concerned with the coming of course. Of the second coming of first Christ. And, first and second Thessalonians yeah. are all very, very rooted. I think every chapter has a reference. Yeah. to the return of Christ. And 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 Paul's encouragement and advice is just keep doing what you're doing. Christ is going to come when he comes. Yep. So. so let me say something about post-millennialism. Yeah, too. yeah. Post-millennialism, I'll tell you what I appreciate. I appreciate its optimism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's, it's the easiest one to pick on. Because all you have to do is play any 11 o'clock newsreel. Yeah. Oh, yeah, things are getting re- a lot better. Right, right. There were X amount of deaths in Baltimore City, X amount of crimes and rapes, et cetera. Dude, I don't know, even in our own neck of the woods, there's been a very tragic story of, of a young woman 
who was killed on yeah. the Ma and Pa Trail. Yeah. Uh, which is just tragic. Yeah. You know, and, and that's an under investigation thing. She was only 37, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and details are coming out. So, I mean, it, it doesn't take much to beat up on this notion things are getting better and better. But let me play their advocate on this. Yeah. Historically, the argument is with them. Yeah. Because the gospel started in obscurity. Yeah. Little corner of the world, unknown place, Judea, and it spread. And dude, its presence around the world. Yes. It has exploded. Yeah. In 1950, I think there was a handful of believers in Nepal. Some estimates have it as upwards of a million. Yeah. You know, half a century later, Christians yeah. in Nepal. So what a lot of post-millennialists will point to point to is, yeah, you might mock, etc. Don't zero in on a sliver of time. Right. Look at the the you know the birds the grand eye scope view, of history, and, yeah, and you'll see. Yeah, I, I understand that. I can appreciate that perspective. Yeah. Um, some of the weakness in post millennialism that I see, dude, is a is a. I don't know if it's a flaw with the system or its adherence. Mm -hmm. Many people that embrace this also embrace a a uh, very political. Yeah. Uh, because Christ is after the nations, uh, kind of uh, almost a Christian theocracy in the world. Yep. Uh, that can get very into this. Yep, this is what the mission of the church is. Uh, now, this can happen in any end times view. Yeah. Uh, but I think post millennialism might lend itself and lend some fuel to that desire. So, my thought on that, dude, is. When Christians are starting to talk about taking over cultural power centers, um, I think we can easily lose sight of the mission, mm -hmm. which is to preach the gospel and disciple right. believers. Yeah, um, which is there's nothing political about that at all. Right. You know, preaching the gospel, discipling those who put their faith in Jesus. Right. Is a very apolitical enterprise. Right. Um, so a number of post-millennialists, when I read their stuff online today, you know, yeah, it's optimistic things, but it's also uh, at times oddly political. Yeah. Now, we were talking before we cast it, dude. How do most American Christians feel about the prospect of Sharia law? Yeah. If an Islamic uh, group, mm -hmm. uh, think tank, etc., affected... Uh, our government, you know, I'm almost painting like a, a, a suspense novel now right. or something, but just for the sake of argument. Yeah. And, um, you know, in Sharia law, it's the application of Islamic law to all of society, regardless of where people's hearts are. Yeah. Yep. So those that are most passionate about Sharia law wish to implement a system yeah. of government um that is in keeping with uh Islam. Yeah. Most Christians how do we react to that, right? Yeah, oh yeah. No, it's it's this imposition of things that our hearts don't embrace upon us. Right. So I've always been kind of baffled by Christians who argue, yeah, that's what we need to be about. I'm thinking, okay, isn't Jesus after people's hearts? Right. 
Because when your heart is transformed, the word of Jesus is not a demand from the outside, but right. a desire from the inside. Yeah, We love his word. We love what he wants. There's this idea of imperialistic conquest, Yeah, I'm not a big fan of. Yeah. I know you're not either. No, oh, and no. it, um, That often, not always, hmm? often, I've seen enough, goes hand in hand with a post-millennial view of the world. Yeah. Well, because the gospel's Christianizing the world. Right. We're a part of that. Ooh, makes the hairs on my neck stand up yeah. a bit. Well, and there there are definitely a lot of issues that go along with that, right? And you, you've talked about some of them, but but let's look at the scope of history mm-hmm. when when Christians have been predominantly in charge of the religious and political scenes. It's of gone countries. well. Yeah, <laughs> no, like I'm sorry, yeah. Dude. It but but that's the point. It hasn't. Mm-hmm. It hasn't believers the 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 idea of the church yeah. in this world being in charge has has never worked i right. mean go, go all the way back and look at look at what the pharisees did yep right the most religious people the you know and and look at their interpretation of the law of god yeah I mean, I mean, if you if you're going to talk about righteousness, and and I'm I'm obviously using hyperbole here, but they took the law of God, which was righteous and holy, and I mean they amplified it. Yep. They made it more righteous and holy, and of course I'm saying that tongue in cheek. Yeah. But this is what happens when religious people are put in charge of the political scene. Right. Is we we do not implement grace. We yeah. don't. Right. Because again, the law is there to to simply exist and be, and you either follow it or you right. don't. Right. And so when that gets put into the political realm, mm. that is that's not just uh, worry that that's frightening. Oh yeah. Um, I would not want to live in a society where where the law of God is imposed upon me. Right. I realize that it is demanded of me, but I also know from Scripture I can't live up to it, and that's that's in all its facets. And, dude, what you're on to is the very purpose of the law that most Christians should not debate. Right. It's a revealer of our need. Yes. Our need of a Savior because we can't keep it. And then the other semi-related but important aspect of that is most Christians try to find consensus on what a what a Christian law based society looks like, you right. won't find it. Right. In some extreme cases, you've got the call for the public stoning of of people in the homosexual community. Right. right? Which to me is an appalling thought um, in terms of what the church is called to be and do in the right. world. But you've got some people that argue that, and some people, well, no, that's a little extreme. But well, if you do go that extreme, uh, people that are shacking up with their girlfriends. Uh, are they killed? Right. Uh, then you you get into issues of uh, well, where do we distinguish the ceremonial from the civil, from right. the moral, and do, read all that stuff. I I've read it for years. I've never found uniform consensus. Right. So all of a sudden I start thinking, yeah, who's implementing this? Right. Um, and isn't it just simpler to go with Paul's advice? Yeah, dude. I uh, we were talking about this beforehand. First Thessalonians four. Um, here, not about the rapture passage that comes earlier, yep. but a little bit later, how interesting, when he um, he says, and now I can't find it. 
I'm sorry, it comes before the rapture passage, which actually is even more interesting. When he says, uh, we urge you, brothers, 1 Thessalonians 4.10, uh, to do this more and more, meaning to love one another, mm -hmm. and to aspire to live quiet lives, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent yeah. on no one. Um, so that's that's a thought. You know, again, some things I like, some things I don't. Yeah, I'm a millennialism dude. Quickly. Yeah. Um, now that's a view that I'm I'm probably most in line with. So mm -hmm. there, I added myself. Uh, please don't anybody panic about that. Um, the first thing that I expect. It will, if it works like this in heaven, mm -hmm. is uh, somebody to explain to me, maybe the Lord himself, oh, Greg, all your views on the end times are wrong. Right. And I will be the first to happily admit, man, I was wrong, but right. I won't care. Right. Because it didn't keep me from preaching Jesus. Yeah. Put your trust and faith in him, uh, which is so clearly the main thing. Uh, I'll be so happy to be there. The amillennial view where I'll say it's weakness, it is the most symbolic, mm -hmm. which can scare people that you're not taking the Bible seriously. Yeah. Because what you're saying is, well, that description in Revelation 20 is not literal. Right. The post-mill guys, if you listen to them closely, it's not as literal either. Yeah. Where it shares its literalness with premillennialism is it's a coming age in the future. Right. But what that age looks like is different. To their credit, the premillennialist is the most literal. Right. Christ reigned, uh, Satan bound in an actual pit somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, the postmillennialist would say, well, yeah, it's there's an age, a golden age coming. I think that's somewhat suggestive, descriptive of this victorious mm -hmm. age of the church. The Amil, it goes the most symbolic and mm -hmm. just says, look, most would say there is no millennium. Mm -hmm. There's no coming thousand year reign. Right. This comes from the book of Revelation, which is replete with symbolism. Right. So, yes, in chapter 20, you might be mad at me that I'm saying uh, this is not to be taken literal, but most people don't disagree that in chapter 19, when Christ returns with a sword coming out of his mouth, most right. <laughs> interpreters don't think he literally has the hilt of a sword wedged between his teeth. Right. So you would say, well, why are you saying that's symbolic of him speaking the word, but not this? Yeah. So I understand, though, the argument. I take mm -hmm. the Bible seriously. I don't want to pick and choose. The question now becomes, does Revelation intend to communicate symbolic truths? Right. I'm comfortable saying yes. Yeah. Which means... Is the millennium, what, what's the key descriptor? What's the benefit? The nations are no longer deceived. Yeah. Many people believe that occurs when Christ dies, rises again, sends his Holy Spirit, and the gospel goes forth into the world yeah. so that the nations are no longer deceived. Yeah. That's why many people interpret it as a picture of the church age. Yeah. That resonates with me. Yeah. Uh, there are some issues, though, dude, that I'll be the first to admit that I've, mm -hmm. I've never fully been able to reconcile in Revelation 20, and I'm going to go back to it really quickly. You have a reference to these uh, two resurrections. Mm -hmm. There seems to be a first resurrection, 
and a second resurrection. Um, that works with a literal millennium. Right. You've got a group of people prior to the establishment of the millennium that yep. are raised. And then you've got people that live in the millennium and die, and they are raised. You've got a first resurrection, a second resurrection. In our millennialism, the question is, well, what's the first and second resurrection? Um, there, there are efforts made to er interpret that. Some people say the first resurrection is a, is a reference to spiritual resurrection, mm -hmm. the transformation of the gospel or of a person's life because of the gospel. Yeah. The second resurrection is the final reality of that. Some people have argued that. Some say, oh, that's a little forced. That's a little weak. I'm just saying every view has its weaknesses. Yeah. Every view has its problems. Right. Um, and that's okay. Yeah. Because where we find our unity is the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. Right? Or right. phrases like that. He is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Yep. Every person who's ever has lived, is living, will live. Yep. Um, that's where I would find my hope. So I want to say to those listening, if this was like, woo, what a deep dive here. Right. This was a lot of complex. As you know, Nathan, we're not even scratching the surface. Oh, yeah, yeah. And this is why we didn't want to just get a representative right. of one view. Because, again, I would, I probably wouldn't argue as an amillennialist. Mm -hmm. I would argue as a pan-millennialist mm -hmm. that just says God's going to pan it all out in the end. Yeah. My argument would be with a person that says, and there are some. But it's it's hard to find that person, yeah. And have a can we have a civil discourse to say I respect your position, right? I think it's orthodox. Yeah. I think you've got a lot of godly, wonderful people that that have interpreted scripture like you. Mm -hmm. That wins a, a, a lot of respect. Yeah. I would want that person to acknowledge, however. Yeah. Hey, you. Uh, it frustrates me that you're not dealing with X, Y, and Z. But we find our unity in that He's coming back. Yeah. Can I say, Nathan, I don't find that as often as I would like to find yeah. that. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's the point of, of what we're doing in August is that we don't find that in, in many or really almost any of the topics that we see and discuss within the church. Yes. That unfortunately there is this propensity to have to be right about everything and no concession that, you know what, I disagree with you, but I understand where you're coming from. Dude, it's so important that we learn to do that. There was a there was a preacher years ago, mm -hmm. I don't do this stuff anymore, popular radio preacher who was teaching on the end times. It was something like the end times made simple. And when I listened to it, yeah, it was well presented, mm -hmm. well researched. But I kept thinking, okay, Martin Luther did not agree with you. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I just started thinking of all these kind of famous luminaries from church. Right. George Whitfield probably didn't agree with you. Charles Spurgeon didn't agree. It was presented as this is the Bible's teaching. Right. I emailed. It's a well-known ministry. Uh, this is probably 20 years ago. And I got a very canned response back. It wasn't mean. It was just sort of mm -hmm. didn't really answer anything. My whole contention is, can you acknowledge for the sake of the unity of the church? Yeah. There are other views. Yeah. That godly people right. that love the Lord and love the Bible. 
Yeah. Have agreed. And they're with you that he's coming back. Right. Uh, we're going to debate the tribulation. Right. We're going to debate the Antichrist, the timing issue, the nature of the millennium. Yeah. But not that he's coming back. And I, I, that's what I would like to see. But I will tell you, Nathan, for years, not so much here, many American Christians in particular flock to that stuff. Yeah. They love, I think because we just love clarity. Yeah. Or what we think is clarity. Yeah. I want a nice, I want, I want to know everything that's going to happen. Yeah. And where do I fit in? in right. It? <laughs> but interestingly enough, even, even when people talk about clarity, right, you read some of the things in Revelation and even people who take the most literal translations of it would agree that there's some symbolism oh, going on here, to. you know, like, you like to. the huge bugs that are coming out in the sky. Remember yeah. in the 1970s, people thought that was like the Apache helicopters. Oh my and, goodness, dude. You know, it's of like, of course, of course. Nobody would say, no, 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 these are going to be literal, huge, giant bugs that are going to be coming down and taking over us. Yeah. They're looking for modern day interpretations. Yeah to try to fit the narrative of what they believe is true. Yes. And so guess what? That's symbolism. Well, dude, and, it, it, you have to. Yeah. Or you'll drive yourself crazy with that book. And yeah. It, frankly, it doesn't work. Right. Uh, if you don't allow for some symbolism, which we do all the time mm -hmm. in every form of literature, movie, media, anything. Right. There's symbolism. Oh, that was there to symbolize right. X, Y, and Z. You're not meant to take it literally. The whole Old Testament is symbolism. Right. It's all symbolism for Christ and what he's going to do. I mean, yeah. you, you can't read the Old Testament and not look at that and go, this is all symbolism. Even the literal act of killing of a lamb was symbolism for Christ. Right. And so the Bible, again, when we look at Scripture... The breadth of Scripture is full of symbolism right. and, and its representations. Of course, dude. When Michael Corleone says, you broke my heart, Fredo, <laughs> uh, that's symbolism. Because Corleone's still breathing. That's right. But his brother soon won't be. Right. Uh, so I'm saying we're so used to symbolism, yes. we don't even think about it. Yeah. But somehow we get to the book of Revelation, and we're like, well, no, let's just go for this, this thing. And yeah. Again, what I find, even among people that share the same view that differ, very selective. Yes. This, not this, this, not this. Um, so I hope in this, you know, deeper dive today, Nathan, that it's very clear. It is a great hope that Jesus is returning. Yes. I think of it often. Think of it regularly because it means the end of disease, the end of death, the end of discord. You ever notice all the bad words are D's? <laughs> Depression, despondent, <laughs> despair. Dutcher, wait, um, you know, we, uh, we Douche. run, <laughs> we run, oh, we've been up to some things in post, um, but we run into these, these things that are so overwhelming in this world. And the answer ultimately is Jesus is coming back. Yeah. He's going to fix it all. And the gospel is sort of that preview, yes, you know, of uh, what is to come. So, anyway, Nathan, woo, you got my brain working here, and it's <laughs> we're, we're we're done at eight twelve in the morning. I'm not going to think the rest of the day, right? <laughs> Ooh, man, I need to go watch some. Uh, I need to go watch some cartoons. Or That's something. right. <laughs> Daffy Duck. Yeah. Good. <laughs> well, my friend, this has been a great conversation. Has. Loved it. And until the next time. We just rocked the Casbah. Yes, sir. Thank you again for listening to these Go to 11, an unchurchy conversation about everyday faith. Once again, please make sure you like, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcast platform. 
And if you ever find yourself in the Forest Hill, Maryland area, please feel free to stop by at 135 Industry Lane, and you can get all of our service times and information at ChristFC.org. These go to 11.